going to be in chapter 3 today. This is the first personal letter that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, a preacher boy that would go on to pastor churches in his death, of course. We see the final letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where he says, I finished the course, I kept the faith, I'm now ready to be offered. And speaking of the time that he would go and beheaded, be beheaded for his faith. And one of the most profound passages of Scripture because it really was thinking about when it was written, of course, in the first century Jerusalem. And when it was written, people thought that he was speaking during that time frame only because, of course, in 70 A.D., you see the destruction of Jerusalem. But I submit to you that this really majorly applies into the day in which we live now more than ever. As you look out and survey, whether it be social media, as you look at the things that are going on on the news channels and radio, you've watched it, you've seen it, you've followed it. And it's continuing on today. Can I tell you something, guys? Each time this thing unfolds, it's escalating to a new level each time. It's growing. And can I tell you something? It's going to continue to grow. Until we, the church, turn back to a holy God, turn our nation back to him, the reality is is we're giving more credence to the things of this world than we are to the things of God. And whatever animal you feed is the animal that's going to grow. And that's the animal that's growing right now. But I want you to know today that we still have all the answers, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. We still have the ability to stand uh, literally more than a conqueror. We literally have the ability to stand unscathed. And guess what? Without fear, the Bible says he's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power. If I say power. And of love and of a sound mind. And the reality is, is we have anything but a sound mind today in our culture because we are literally driven by fear and doubt and uncertainty. But I love how Peter stepped out on the waters of uncertainty, got out of the boat, and stepped into the arms of Jesus. When he got his eyes, watch this, off of Jesus, then he began to sink. He didn't just sink. The Bible says he began to sink. And then Jesus, you know, looked at him and waited for him to call out that one thing that would change it all for him, which he said, save me, Lord, save me. He reached down and pulled him up, and they walked on the water together and got back in the boat. That's what the church needs to do today. We need to learn how to be water walkers. We need to learn how to step out on the uncertainties of life and not be scathed by them, not be swayed by them, not be moved. And most importantly, and I want you to get this today, if you don't get anything else, do not be defined by the affairs of this world. This is not my home. In 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to his young protege, and he says these words, and I want you to wrap your head around this and and understand kind of where we are. He says, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men, listen to the adjectives, listen to the descriptive words that he gives here. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Can I get a witness? Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiven, slanderers, without self-control. Let me read that again. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of that which is good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Watch this. Having a form of godliness but denying its power thereof. And such people, you and I are to do what? Say it with me. Turn away. They should not have an audience with us. However, comma. They should be the point of affection by which we go and be a light in a dark place. It's time. The church, if it never was time before, it's time to be the salt and the light of this earth. To be a reflective light of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's time to quit playing games. It's time to quit playing church. It's time to quit playing righteousness. It's time to quit playing uh, the, the holy appearance, yet denying the power thereof. He said perilous times will come. Can I tell you something, church? They're here. 
We're living in the final measure of God's grace. And I'm going to show you that today, as it were, as we live in a dispensationalist uh, mindset as far as our church is concerned. Most of you, from an evangelical standpoint, we are dispensationalists. We believe that there was a time of innocence in the garden before man fell. There was a time after that, a time of sin, a time of the fall. Then there was the law. The law did not come to set man free, but to show man that he needed a Savior, that grace mattered, that grace was what we were crying out for. Then we entered in 2,000 years ago on the cross when Jesus died and he said it is finished three days later he got up defeating death hell in the grave and enters grace and by that measure of grace we live today but can I say this to you church and say it loud without apology grace will end and then there will be a time of total annihilation and the wrath of God poured about upon this earth and we're not going to be here however however we have a duty a responsibility a privilege to share the gospel with the lost of this world. Today, right now, today, of the 6.2 billion people on planet Earth, 2 billion of them, that's not a typo, 2 billion of them have never heard the gospel. Now I want to kind of rewind for a moment and go back into the late 1400s. Getting ready for the turn of the century, the Roman Catholic Church was the most powerful force on the earth led by papal authority, literally meaning that the Pope, who believed that he was a direct descendant of Peter, a rock, that they had absolute authority. But watch this, not just in the church, but also in the world, also in the economy, also in the political realm. The papal authority was absolute and absolutely sovereign. And here's the the problem, and we see this in cults today, because they believed that they had apostolic authority by which all things revelatory came from God, not through his word church but to him and then he gave it over to man and before 1611 we didn't even have a bible that was written in our language that we could have you and i before that it wasn't even written in modern vernacular it was written in latin that the, the papal community did not want the common man to have a copy of the word of god do you know why because they might have crossed over the book of romans and saw that it was by grace alone and not through what man could or could not do for them but we take that so lightly today So this young boy born in 1486 named Martin Luther came about and he's known today as one of the major reformers of the Protestant Reformation. The breaking apart from the the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of England, and moving into the Protestant Reformation, which is what we have today. People like John Calvin, people like Henry VIII. Henry VIII is noted as a reformer, but I think so so in in an unscrupulous manner. The reason he is part of the Reformation is because he wanted to get a divorce from a woman and marry Anne Boleyn. I don't know that that's a godly thing but nonetheless he broke away from of course the the rule of papal community john calvin and martin luther however were major reformers so much so that in the 1500s when martin luther died he died as an outlaw yet watch this in the late 1400s around 1495 he was a monk he was a priest He was a writer. He was a composer. He was a doctor of theology. He is known today as one of the greatest theologians ever to walk the earth. Spending time alone with God and the Word of God, he read over books like Ephesians. He read over books like Romans. And he kept passing these things like faith alone, grace alone, hope alone. And he passed through these words in 2 Timothy 3 that it's all scripted and inspired by God. And he, and he kept getting his head around this. And then he was listening to the papal authority. And he was, he was hearing things like, 
uh, penance and, and how you have to, to pay for your sin and indulgence where you can actually pay someone uh, out of hell and they go into purgatory. And when the church needed to raise money, guess what? They would go out and sell indulgences. And if you had someone that had died and they were in purgatory and you didn't want them to go to hell, you could pay the church some money and they would come out of purgatory. Uh, purgatory and go into heaven with God. I mean, it was a broken system. It was driven by man. It was driven by greed and money and power. And he had a problem with it, Martin Luther, so much so that he wrote his disputation of Martin Luther against the Catholic Church, which later became the 95 Thesis, which in uh, 1517 of October 31st, he nailed that thesis to the door of Wittenberg, Germany, in which he categorically went one by one by one and refuted the teachings of the church and came up with five things to refute it. They're known as the five solas, S-O-L. A-S, which in the Latin means only or alone. I want to give you those today because I believe them to be the irreducible truths, not only of the reformers, but us today. Here, why? Because it answers this question. Where do we stand? If the world is going crazy around us, where do we stand? Do we come over here with this life's matter? Do we come over here with this life's matter? Do we come over here with this life? Or do we just refute it all? I mean, where do we stand as a child of the Most High God? I'll tell you where we stand. We stand on the precepts. We stand on the hope of the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, Him alone, and realize that that is our hope, that that is the answer. That there are no other answers. There are no other antics. So today, I want to bring you a message. It's the first series of our sermon series, Focus. Church, we need to focus. We need to take our eyes off of the peripherals around us and focus on what God is saying to his church today, which is the same thing that he said when he created the earth. It's the same thing he said when he penned through the human authors, the word of God, infallible and errant holy scriptures. It's the same story. It will not change just because you and I are changing. It never changes. Aren't you glad that God is a changeless God? There are five of them, and if you're taking notes, and I'm going to throw them up on the, on the board today. The first one is solo gracia, which literally means by grace alone. That literally, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, a church which he adored, and he wrote the words, for by grace are you saved through faith. And then he comes in and qualifies it with this caveat. That it's not of your works. It's not of anything you could do. It's not man-made. It is by grace. Therefore, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. There is nothing to boast in, Paul said, except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The reality is this. is You're not saved because you're good. You're not right with God because you're good. See, the, the reality is, is the Catholic Church, they were selling a bill of goods that you could be good based upon them saying you were good. And if you didn't get that and you wanted to live a life of being a hellion, that you could just pay a little bit more money, live how you want to, and go before a priest and confess your sins and somehow you were right with God. Categorically, unapologetically, no, that is not true. You and I are saved by grace alone. However, the problem with that is we can take that to an extent to where we bruise the measure of grace to think that that gives us a license to sin. That that gives us a license to do whatever we want to do. Oh, no, no, no. James talked about that. There's a, there's, a, there's a work behind our faith. There's a byproduct of the grace. In fact, he goes on to say, 
one of the dangers as you look into this, you see in Romans, don't turn there, 521 through 6-2. Listen to these words. Listen to the words with me. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Speaking of Adam's, talking about the fall. By one man, many were made sinners. So also by one man, obedience, uh, I'm sorry, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Who are we talking about? The second Adam or the person of who? Say it with me. Jesus. Say that name again. That's a good name. Say this. There you go. Moreover, watch this. The law entered that the offense might abound. The law did not come to set us free. The law came. There were 613 thou shall and thou shall not. Please don't think that the law only constituted the Ten Commandments. That was only a brief synopsis of the 613 that existed. Things like you can't cut your hair. Things like you can't sit where someone was when they were sick or unclean. You, you can't wear poly wool blend. You can't do this. You can't eat that. You can't eat it's unclean. You can't pick up your bed and move it two inches on the, the day of, of, of the Sabbath lest you work and then the, abort the law and, and not be right with God. I mean, it's just on and on and on. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. It was the rigid drudgery of all things man-made pointing to the person of Jesus who did not abolish the law but fulfilled it to the very T, to very issue of every point of the law so much so that watch this then he became our sin that you and I may be made the righteousness of God in him how Mark by grace unmerited favor it's the gift of God how many of you have ever received a gift you don't get a gift necessarily just because you're good I know we like to sell that to our children you know you better be good or you're not gonna get it you know you're gonna get that back kid some gifts you know you will my kids aren't bad. They're just hanging around the wrong people. Okay. All right. So check this out. Watch what he says. But where sin abounded, I love this, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If I stop there then what that really says to me, and this is the danger of this solo gracia, that the grace alone is which, by which I'm saved, that since the Bible says in Romans 5, 21 and following, that if, if sin abounds, then, um, yeah, then grace abounds more. What does that mean, Mark? That means if I'm in the, in the context of sinning and, and doing wrong, that there is more grace. I praise God that that is absolutely unequivocally true. The more sin, the more grace. However, here's the big question. So then, watch what he says in 6, 1 and 2. Watch what he says. What shall then we say? Shall we continue to sin that more grace might abound? That makes sense. If me sinning brings about more grace, hey, man, let's just go have a party. Let's just go do what we want to do. That is the belief system of a lot of people today under the grace evangelical movement and the gospel of grace where they stop only with grace. They start with grace, end with grace, and nothing else follows. And there's nothing for you and I to do. Can I tell you something? If you're a child of the Most High God, that is settled in heaven forever and forever and forever. However... There is a duty, a responsibility, and a privilege for every single child of God to sound the trumpet. Jesus is Lord. There is a day coming. There's a day of reckoning. Read Ezekiel 33. He calls us the watchman. 
So much so that if we're on that wall, the proverbial wall, watching the world, watching the lost, watching the sinners, that you and I, watch this, we're to sound the trumpet. Jesus is coming. There's a wrath going to be poured out on this earth, guys. No question about it. It is a holy wrath. Why? Because God has to, aren't you glad God deals with good? But aren't you glad God has to also deal with evil? Otherwise, he would not be just. There's a holy wrath going to be poured out upon this earth. You and I won't be here for those of us who are children of the Most High God. But those people who are left behind will be dealt with in a way that evil that you can't even fathom. So we're sounding the trumpet. Get right with God. Repent. Accept the love of Jesus. The finished work of the cross. Whatever it may be. We're to sound the trumpet. Oh, well, Mark, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a person that can talk. You better get over that and just share the love of Jesus with a lost and dying world. You have a responsibility to do that. Why? Because if we sound the trumpet and we put it out there and people don't respond and they keep living vicariously if they, as they want to live and don't worry about repentance, don't worry about the things of God, then watch what happens. Through the context of that, the Bible says their blood is on their own hands. You and I have sounded the trumpet. We've told them, repent. We've told them about the love of Jesus. But if we don't sound the trumpet, we don't share our faith, we don't tell people about Jesus, and they die without Christ, the Bible says their blood is on my hands. Have you ever wondered why in Revelation 21 and verse 4 it says, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes? Have you ever wondered why we, the redeemed, are standing around the great white throne judgment in heaven, and why are we crying? I'm redeemed. Why am I crying? I'm like, Jesus, why am I crying? I'm in my glorified body, Bill. Why am I crying? Because I had just witnessed the millions upon millions upon millions of people that were thrown into the lake of fire because they did not accept the love of the truth found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it don't bother you now, it will bother you then. And their blood is on our hands. Mark, that's heavy. It should be, church, because every time we encounter people, we don't encounter them just on the measure of what we think. There's a spiritual undertone to everything going on around us. Maybe, just maybe, the person that God has brought into your world tomorrow, and he's already known about it, that that person is coming into your world. Not so you can call me or Pastor David or Pastor Tyler or Keith or one of our deacons or something. Just come, hey, come share the faith. You share the faith with them. God brought them to you. But Mark, I'm saved by grace, therefore I don't have to do it. Oh, no, 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 no. So if sin does abound, if grace does abound where sin exists, then should we keep on sinning? What does he say? Look at the last words of that verse. God forbid. Because, why? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? You see, here's the thing. I am free from the penalty of sin. I am not free to go on sinning. There's a difference. You see, the beauty of grace, for by grace alone, as the band comes, hear me, is that I don't have to face God with fear. Now, I should face him with a level of reverence. But I don't have to face him with fear. I don't, I don't have to. Watch this. Here's what we do. How many parents are in the house? Wave your hands at me like you just don't care. How many of you wish you weren't parents? Look at all the hands that are up. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I love our kids, don't y'all? I love our grandchildren more. Um, <clears throat> have you ever 
don't, don't be super spiritual. Just work with me because I've done it. Have you ever been so mad at your child that you just looked at him and said, you better get away from me. Just go in there. I better see your backside walking the other way. Have you ever done that? Have you ever spanked your kids and loved it? Don't raise your hand. There's some defects, folks, in here. But I'm just saying. You know you have. This is going to hurt me more. Than, come on, seriously? This is going to hurt me more than. No, I'm serious. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You pull out that. Y'all remember the days when you were paddled for not bringing your signed paper back? Anybody remember that? I remember getting eight licks one time in the fourth grade for not bringing my signed paper back. The lady had a paddle with holes in it. That thing, when she'd bring it back, go, man, you go to prison today. Let me tell you what we did do. We respected our teachers. All the teachers in the house said, that's right. But if you, if you think about how mad you get at your children, and sometimes you need a cooling off moment. Or if you get upset with your spouse. And, and you just need to kind of distance yourself for a moment to kind of clear your head. Don't look at me like that. Can I tell you something though? God never needs a cooling down moment with you or me. Because I love this. I'm glad I'm going to say this. He just put this in my spirit. When he looks at you, he don't see you. He sees the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ on you. He don't see your faults and your failures. He sees the glory of God by the grace of God applied to your life. Why is that important? Because I believe this with all of my heart. Some of you will not walk the aisle of a church. Some of you will not share your faith. Some of you will not hold your hand up and worship God because you are so stinking embarrassed at the life that you have lived this week. You feel you have failed God. You feel like you are not worthy. Let me give you the punchline. You're not. But in Him, you are made right. See, when God looks from heaven, He sees one of two things. A lost Sinner disenfranchised from a holy God. Oh, he loves them so much. The murderers out there that committed these heinous crimes, he died for them. For the Billy Grahams of this world, he died for him. But the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to set the righteous free. He came to come to save the sinners and call them to repentance. That's grace. The Bible says, greater love has no man than one to lay down his life for his friend. But that's only in the finite world where we live. I submit to you that most of you truly, truly, if faced with a moment of death, just, just, just kind of let's be real for a minute. If you were faced with a moment of death, a weapon to your head, you got to die. Or your friend has to die. At the moment that that comes to reckoning, you don't start to think about the love you have for that friend. You start to think about the love you have for your family that's going to be without you. Let's don't over-spiritualize this thing. Let's just be honest. I love my friends. But if it came down to my friends or my family, what are we going to do, church? You know what you would do. But put that same situation on the, on the floor for a moment. 
What if it came down to you and a mortal enemy, someone who has cursed you, someone that, who has hurt your children, someone who has bad-mouthed you, someone who has backbitten you, someone who has posted negative things on social media, someone who you know has, has literally spit in your face, st- stabbed you in the back, and they're standing next to you, a weapon to your head, and the guy says, it's either you or them. You know what you would do. But see, that was Jesus. If you want to bring a metaphor into what that really looked like, it was him standing not with his friend, but him standing alone with the sin of the world upon his back. about that for just a minute and not just one enemy but every enemy of the world the Hitlers the Stalins the murderers the backbiters the racial slurs the pedophiles they're lined up next to Jesus and there's a there's a gun to his head if you will and guess who's holding it guess who's holding it his father the Bible says that it pleased the father to bruise his son. What kind of dad is that? I'll tell you what kind of dad it is. It's Abba Father. It's my father. One who loved me so much that he took me out of the equation and put his own son at the end of that barrel called a cross. And maybe, just maybe, there was a conversation In the fullness of things eternal in the past, maybe, just maybe, before he created man, maybe, I don't know. I would like to think, if we personalize this, that maybe they just sit down, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and said, what are we going to do about this man that we're going to (laughs) create? God said, oh, they're going to be so goofy. They're going to be so messed up. They're going to fear when I've told them the answers. They're going to run when I've given them love. They're going to push me away when I've given them life. They're going to be so messed up and so jacked up. And they're going to turn against towards evil. And they're going to turn away from love. And they're not going to love one another. They're going to kill one another. It's going to be catastrophic. But we want to create them in our image so that they worship us and choose us. Choose us because we've chosen them before we framed the world. So here's what's going to happen. And the father didn't have to tell the son. Jesus just knew because they're one and the same. So maybe Jesus said it out loud. Well, here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to enter into humanity. I'm going to enter into life. I'm going to leave all of this splendor and glory. And I'm going to enter into nasty, dirty world. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be born in a manger. And I'm not even going to have a home. I'm not going to have a place to lay my head. My family's going to turn against me. My friends will turn against me. I will be betrayed. The ones who I've loved the most will, 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 will deny ever knowing me. And I'm going to do all these things because I'm great and I'm wonderful and I'm splendid. And, and, and there's this measure of grace that I'm going to carry around because that's who I am. I want to give it to them on my account because we know we're good we are the the junk we are amazing we are glorious we have it all together but we want to enter into humanity enter into time and watch what we're going to do when they deny us and when they hate us i will stand in their place and i will love them and say forgive them for they know not what they do and i will pay their sin debt 
by my measure of grace. And we sit back. And because of that grace, we think we have to do nothing. Guys, I'm afraid we've been sold a bill of goods. We've got to do everything. We've got to accept it to as many as received him. To them, he gave the power to become a son of God. We've got to embrace it. We've got to wear it on our sleeve. We've got to wear it around our neck. Put it over our doorpost. Speak it going in and coming out. We've got to give it to our children. The older ladies, you're to teach the younger ladies, men. You're to take up these young boys. Hey, yeah, we can call it mentoring. We can call it whatever. It's discipleship. It's reproducing fruit in other people so that, so that we don't miss a generation that are going to die with this cavalier mindset that life no more matters. People now won't even die for their family, much less die for a friend. And heavens to Betsy, they're not going to die for an enemy. Jesus died for an enemy. And it was you and it was me. How did he do it? Solo gracia. Solo gracia. By grace alone. What will you do with it today? Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Everything that happened yesterday is gone. What will you do right now? Every head bowed and every eye closed. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. I wonder, is there anyone sitting in the congregation today or listening by way of podcast or watching on social media that would say, Mark, I don't know that grace. I think I'm a pretty swell guy. I think I'm a girl that would love humanity, but I don't know that grace. I don't know that grace you're talking about. Well, the Bible says it's a gift, and as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become a son or a daughter of God. Romans 3 and 23 says we've all sinned and fall short the glory of God. But where we fell short, grace moved in. Where justice called, mercy answered. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to ask some of our men and women, some of our pastors, some of our folks, come down front and just prepare yourself for prayer. Get a few ladies down front too. Sandy, if you want to stand over there. Here's what I want to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus in the free pardon of sin today and that measure of grace, I want you right now to do business with God and pray this simple prayer of faith. Not the magical prayer. Please hear me. It's not because you're praying it with me. You're certainly not praying it to me. But by the measure of grace, the Bible says if we repent, we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Lord Jesus Christ, that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Pray this with me right now from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I am a sinner. And I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive all my sin. Jesus, will you save me? Help me to live for you until the day you call me home. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray that prayer today, by his measure of grace alone, you've been born again. Would you right now, without personal debate or conversation with a friend or anyone else, just lift your hand right now and say, I prayed and invited Jesus in my heart. Lift it up real high. God bless you, little one. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? Put your hands down. I mean, if you could say without any apology, Mark, I need to do better. I need to do more for the glory of God. Mark, pray for me that I can have that, that unction to be the husband, 
the wife, the son, the daughter, the brother, the sister, the employer, that I can go forward and I can share that message of hope brought forth by the grace of Jesus Christ. If you need help with that and you want doors open and you want that unction and that confidence and that power to change lives, I wonder, would you lift your hand right now? Lift it up high. Hands are going up all over the room. Hold them up high for just a moment. Let God see it. Let God see your hand. I want to do more. I want to do better. I want to be more favored. I want to walk in that divine appointment, that divine purpose. So here's what I'm going to do with your hand up. Keep them up. If that's you today, God wants you to know that you've got to take a step for Him today. You're not, you don't have to join the church, although the church, the doors are open. I'm going to stand here. But if God has spoken to you and your hand is up and you want to do something more for the glory of God, I want you, when I count to three, I want you to stand up, come down here and shake one of our hands, turn and walk away. If you want prayer, we'll pray with you. But above all things, just take a step and say, I want to do more. And if you can do more in here with friends and family and people who love Jesus with you, that would encourage you, that would applaud you, guess what? If you could do that in here, you just might be equipped to do it out there where the world is going to hate you and the world is going to push you back. The doors of our church are open.